Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. Today, Hans-Georg Hoprich will continue our sermon series through the book of Acts by looking into chapter 19. Learning from Paul, we will see how we can have peace in spite of panic, when completing tasks, facing uncontrollable situations, and when we have to wade through uncertain moments. Join us now to learn more about trusting God and experiencing His comfort and encouragement. Well, as Christians, um, we need to really live a counter um, culture. As the Lord Jesus presents us on the Sermon on the Mount, he presents us with a counter culture. And uh, he's speaking about how to live as Christians, and in this season of unrest and war, I think, dear brothers and fellow sisters, that we do need to live up to the Christian counter-counsel. So um, when we talk about um, unrest, when we talk about war, we need to really live up what peace is all about. Um, and because we know the Lord of peace, we can live up to the counsel of peace. And uh, so this morning, I would like to go back again to Acts and uh, to a very special experience Paul has had um, in spite of difficulties. And you will see there was there were impossibilities galore more than any time before. But because he knew the Lord of peace, he had peace in spite of panic. And as we look into that very topic, we are reminded to one word that is used in um, Jewish um, culture and language, and that is the word of shalom. Two Jewish friends greet one another with an embrace and warm smile, more than just saying, hello, they are offering each other a blessing and they, they do it like the Lord Jesus did with his disciples. When he rose again, they, he said there was a special mark and everybody knew when he was talking about that, this is only Jesus. Peace be with you. There was a mark. Of the Lord Jesus, peace be with you. And when he came up with that short sentence, all of his disciples knew that is the Lord Jesus. Peace. What is the nature of this shalom type of peace? The Bible reveals a treasure chest of its attributes, quietness, um, confidence, security, and rest. 
And it says in Isaiah 32, 17 and 18, it says, The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. It, it depicts some of the key adventures of the Bible. Because that's exactly what the people of God experienced in difficult circumstances. We are reminded of the steadiness of Daniel waiting. That's not a favorite place of mine. I must uh, be honest to you. He was waiting in the lion's den. The, the serenity of Jesus asleep in the storm-tossed boat. Where all the disciples said, well, he is sleeping, you know. He doesn't care about us. But Jesus just had complete peace. Shalom. That's the word, what the word means. Or the joyful singing. And Paul experienced that. The joyful singing of Paul and Silas chained together in the Philippian jail. How do we unlock this kind of peace in our lives. The prophet Isaiah gives us the key. He says in Isaiah 26 uh, verses 3 and 4, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Now this sounds beautiful, but does it really work? Have you ever asked yourself, does it really work? You know, if it doesn't work, we're believing in some kind of strange God. Can this ancient key fit into our contemporary lives? Let us take a a moment to examine um, Isaiah's liberating words more closely. The phrase, the steadfast of mind, is two words in Hebrew which means lean upon support. The other state, is it, it's a state of mind. The word keep means watch over or it means also protect. And that with God does the keeping in peace, repeated in the words for emphasis, literally shalom. Shalom or unending security. Put these, these um, definitions together and the line reads Isaiah 26. Three and four, the frame of mind that is leaning on and receiving support from you, O Lord, you will protect with infinite calm. And the next line tells us the motivation, the, the, the power of the push for this peace. O trust in God. 
trust in God. The Hebrew word for trust provides as a picture, as a meaning to throw on one down on his face. So those who throw themselves on God, who remove all other crutches. And, and, and we are kind of, you know, drawn to get some kind of crutches instead of that kind of peace, that shalom. Those who abandon their anxieties and fears. They, they will experience God's shalom. Now, how long should we keep trusting? Until the clouds disappear, until we can handle things ourselves, What do you reckon? I think forever. Not just a limited kind of time, because that's what people do anyway, you know. They come and go, but as people of God, we can trust our God forever. Not only a limited time. What a, what a marvelous promise that is. And um, here it is reaching up from the, the page of Scripture, inviting each of us to, to cling to it as children, um, to cling to their father's neck, one person whom we find constantly in its embrace is the very Apostle Paul, Particularly in this, in his final days, as we will look at this morning in Ephesus, and um, he was completely uh, completing a successful task. Always one to complete what he started. Paul is in the process of wrapping up a fulfilling and successful ministry in Ephesus. The writer of Acts, as you know, uh, Dr. Luke, refers to those days and then points out to the apostles' plan for the future. He says in Acts 19.21, Now after these things we finished, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying after... I have been there, I must also see Rome. Burning with, in, 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 in Paul's soul is the dream of someday reaching, um, Rome. Now, why is this, this, uh, city of Rome so, so important to, to Paul? Rome was, well, let's uh, speak to our American friends, was the Oval Office. This is where the very center of power was, the Oval Office of the world, the place of ultimate power. The 
emperor lived in Rome. Dear Christians lived even in Caesar's palace. Paul knew that if he could reach Rome, he could reach some of the most influential Christians of the of the known world in his time. Also, quite probably, he could gain an, an, an audience with the emperor himself. Imagine, what a, what a thrilling possibility that was. Imagine Caesar bowing his knees. That was his perspective, you know, and he trusted the Lord. This is why he wanted to go to Rome. Bowing the knees before the Lord Jesus, the whole world would know the glory of the risen Christ. Paul yearns for that day, yet verse 22 in our passage of Acts 19 shows that he is content. Even he was excited, but he was content to wait for God's timing and Acts 19.22 says, Having sent to, into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Now, how long did he stay in Asia with that kind of excitement? Well, we, we know that uh, he ministered in Ephesus, um, a total of three years. He was not running around in circles, you know, uh, overexcited. No, he ministered there. He stayed there. Paul reminds the Ephesian Christians in Acts twenty thirty one. so be on your guard. Remember that for three years... I never stopped warning each of you um, night and day with tears. He was very, very patient. Very patient. Three months of that time he taught in the synagogue. Acts 19.8 says Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. For another two years, he spoke in the school of Tyrannus, as we uh, heard last time. Acts 19, 10 says, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard well, I'm getting excited about it. All of these people heard. What did they listen to? They listened to the word of the Lord. Wow, what an exciting ministry that was. That leaves nine months in all that he stayed in Asia while Rome was tucking at his heart. Paul's natural response to these unfulfilled dreams would have been, what would be your your um, response? I think my response would have been frustration. If I'm honest, I don't. I'm not a that patient guy. 
maybe even anxiety or, or let's use the word of our headline, panic. But God's peace was watching over him. As a result, he was able to wait patiently and kept, keep working on his present task. For his, uh, for his example, we can, we can say or formulate the first of three definitions of peace. Um, peace the, is the ability to remain faithful in spite of the panic of unfulfilled dreams. Can you relate that to your life? Again, the ability to remain faithful. Not to jump around here and there and, you know, even bringing other people in insecurity or whatever. No, the ability to remain faithful in spite of the of the panic of unfulfilled dreams. When we lean on the Lord as an everlasting rock, entrusting your and other people's future to Him, He supports us with His shalom, with His peace. Then we can stay at our posts, letting Him unlock the doors of our dreams at just at the right time. And, well, that was the first uh, point. But secondly, there was, he was facing an uncontrollable situation. Paul, because Paul was content to wait on the Lord, surely his circumstances would remain as calm and peaceful as, as his attitude. Not so. Because the very next verse reminds us that often just when, when things are settled in our heart, just when we have stopped panicking and starting trusting, a dam breaks and trouble comes Flooding in. Have you ever experienced something like that? I have experienced that many a times. I thought I got it now. But suddenly, you know, the outward peace at least is gone. Acts 19.23 says, About that time there arose no small disturbance concerning the way. Public accusation galore. The disturbance begins with an incredible accusation. In Acts 19, 24 to 26, we read, A certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men! You know that our prosperity depends upon this business. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but all, but in almost all of Asia, this, this Paul 
has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. They understood the message incredibly. It was clear to them. Demetrius, what was he? We would call him probably a CEO and chief executive officer of the Silversmith Guild. And by the way, a man who was never, who was never met Paul in person. He accuses him of undermining their profitable business. Now, what were these craftsmen making? Well, the shrines were probably not statues of the godness, but small representations of their, of her seated in the temple. We've seen last time the, the picture of the temple. Devotees purchased these and presented them at the temple as an, as an act of worship. And we've seen that in, I think in Singapore, um, a temple of um, some kind of, I, I don't want to name the, the religion, you know, uh, thousands of them hanging on the wall. You know, they were presented at some time, presented um, these god gods they put on the wall, hanging down the same statute. I, I don't know how many hundreds were just on the wall. As a result of Paul's preaching, and the spread of the gospel, thousands of people had begun worship the only authentic God and had forsaken the odd-looking Artemis uh, and her um, reproduction of her myriad of small decorative objects, pieces of cheap, very cheap, jewelry, and of low quality. You see what, where people are, what people are stuck to? Cheap. Gods. Meaning nothing. They are empty. Made out of some kind of cheap material. So the market and Demetrius' income had decreased rapidly in value. Imagine that happening to you and in that kind of business. On top of that, there was some personal misunderstanding. The silversmiths cared little about God's truth. They cared only about the uh, nose-diving line on their profit charts. Now, was it Paul's default that sales that slipped? Should he, should he really be blamed? Indeed, he had no, not made anyone do anything. Rather, God was the one changing lives. It wasn't Paul's fault. Now, as Demetrius continues his 
inflammatory speech to his fellow craftsmen, the group rose angrier. Of course, they needed to be angry with each exaggerating accusation. Um, Acts 19:27 to 28 says, and not only is there danger that his, this trait of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship should even be dethroned from her, from her magnificence. And then, and when he, they heard this, they were filled with rage. Can you see them? You know, they, their face went red and their eyes maybe even as well because they lost their business. They began crying. Of course, what else should they do? And, and you see that repeated all over again, all around the globe. They're doing the same thing over and over and ever. The same thing. What did they do? They shouted, Great is the Artemis of the Ephesians. And of course, out of that, um, not only uh, out of personal misunderstanding, but also out of that physical threat came up, totally driven by fear. And you, I mean, you can even uh, hear these loud voices, you know, and, and shouting, totally driven by fear, greed, and, and, and religious seal. The tradesmen began streaming and chanting. The sound of the tumult sp- spilled out into the streets. Um, of that big city. Acts 19.29 says the city was filled with what? Confusion. You know what happens? Confusion. This is what happens. What is the counter to confusion? Shalom. Can you see it? That's reality. That's Spiritual reality. The city was filled with the confusion and they rushed with the one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Archistachus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. The situation turned suddenly dangerous and uh, thousands of people mobbed together, grabbed Paul's companions probably because they could not find him and pushed their way into the theater. This theater, by the way, still exists. I've been there in, in Ephesus. It's an, an amazing theater to be there and to standing at the grounds where Paul stood and they shouted, you know, it's so easily to imagine how this happened. It still exists. It's more like a, a stadium or open air amphitheater. It can hold at least 25,000 People, all of them by this time part of the imminent danger of hostility about to explode. News of this chaotic uproar 
soon reaches the apostle who immediately wants to enter in this conflict. Of course, he saw the responsibility for his co-workers. He wasn't blind for them. He was a caring about his co-workers. In Acts 19.30 says, Paul wanted to appear before the ground. Let me at them. Paul probably exclaimed, I want to see them, you know, they are in danger. I want to see them, stand with them. But those around him wisely warned him not to go. But the disciples, it says in Acts 30, uh, 19, 30 uh, and 31, but the disciples would not let him, even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him message begging him, not to venture in the theater. These friends of Paul's were probably leading citizens who were prominent members of the, of the provincial council of Asia. Now, why isn't Paul afraid? You know, did you ever wonder about that when you read that story? Why isn't Paul afraid? Only God's Perfect peace, his shalom, yes, his shalom could have chased the fear from Paul's heart. For it is when you live free from anxiety, there is an envelope of invisibility in your spirit. It surrounds you and you do not sense the intimidation of a mob for the, or the fear of a dangerous risk. It is nothing short of magnificent. In the end, Paul did not venture into theater. He listened, you know, he was humble. You know, we can learn so many great things from the apostle. He, he, he said, well, I'm the big apostle, you know. I'm doing my own thing. No. He listened to his co-workers. He did not venture in the theater, but his frame of mind exemplified this second definition, the ability what is peace all about? The ability to stay calm in spite of the panic of uncontrollable and unpleasant circumstances. Being at peace is, is no problem when our, our, you know, surrounding circumstances are peaceful, but being calm when a riot is Raging at our door, that requires true peace. The kind that comes only from relying completely upon God. Let me tell you this morning, dear brothers and sisters, the Lord is bigger than any other person. He's bigger than any other mob. He is bigger than the circumstances you might find yourself in right now. You may be in panic. I don't know. And because there are so many people in panic, looking at the war, looking at the shortage of things you can't buy. So many people. 
It's sometimes even a way of life, you know, to live in panic. But let me tell you, the Lord is speaker. And I urge you to trust in that very God of ours. No matter how righteous in out of his it, it, it is, is out of your control. Um, the Lord controls it. Let's keep that in mind in your circumstances, in your situation. So Paul was waiting through uncertain moments. While Paul continues to wait on the Lord, the situation seems to deteriorate even more so. Acts 19.32 says, So then some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion and the majority did not know. You know, you, can you see, you know, it's kind of funny, <laughs> the whole situation why went out of control. And when I got ready for this sermon, I started to laugh in my office. You know, it, it just went out of control. The people that were there, they didn't even know why they were there. Can you imagine? The Lord was in control. There is so much confusion and extreme disorder that the people do not even know what they are supposed to uh, to be angry about. Then to make matters even worse, some Jews convince one of their leaders, Alexander, to try to calm the crowd and make it clear that they are not the ones to blame. But seeing a a monotheistic Jew only incites the people polytheistic zeal. Acts 19 says, um, 33, the Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Wow. They must have been totally exhausted. Two hours shouting. Can you imagine? Amazing. What people can do, godless people can do. Two hours shouting for what? They didn't even know for, you know, the purpose of, of their shouting. As all the while, Paul remains hidden in his life in more and more danger with each passing minute. The pressure is rising, but the right moment, the God whom Paul serves and trusts sends in. What did he send in? Did he send in some cavalry? A high Roman Official, you know, what would, would you expect, you know, God doing, you know, sometimes we are the commander in chief and tell God, this is what you've got to do. No, it was just the town clerk who then was the secretary of the city, the executive officer who published the decrees of the civic assembly. He acted as 
I would call it a liaison officer between the civic uh, administration and the Roman provincial administration. And then we read all the verses. You can read them uh, in Acts 35 to uh, 41. Uh, what was happening through that, knowing that his job was on the line. This clerk carefully selected a few facts and remind us about proper legal channels and preserved his own job, the city standing and most of all, the disciples' lives. Amazing. Just amazing. As if he were playing chess, God moved upon a chess piece of the, you know, not a big size, <laughs> it's a smaller size, and value into just the right square. I'm getting excited about that. In the right time, with the right people, everything at God's time. To block Paul's opponent. My dear fellow brothers and sisters, in our lives also, God has a way of arranging unexpected events and, and unlikely people to defend us. We just have to wait for him to make his move. Isn't that exciting? The third definition of peace is the ability to wait patiently in spite of panic brought on by uncertainty. In times of fear, remember God's peaceful promise in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. I want to conclude this great passage I got so excited about. It's amazing what the Lord can do in your situation, in your daily life, not only now, but also in the future. He has the world in his hands. Why do we have so little peace? Because we want to be in charge of our lives. We want to accomplish our own dreams. Control uncontrollable situations and manipulate our uncertain future. This way of thinking, though, leads us down to kind of a miry path of worry and panic. Do you want to learn the lesson? This is an opportunity. In contrast, as Isaiah reminds us, people who rely on God experience, what do they experience? Everlasting peace, shalom. Trust is 
the only way to find peace amidst of the in, in the anxiety of the world, may this kind of peace be with you. Peace be with you, my dear fellow brothers and sisters. Peace be with you. How do we apply this tomorrow, now, today? On any given day, our frame of mind like the weather can be warm and sunny with only a slight chance of rain or it can be overcast and cold with storm clouds on the horizon. This can happen even today. I mean, we see proper sun outside, but that can happen. What accounts for this variability? A good deal has to do with the weather we are trusting in the Lord. Whether we are trusting in the Lord, it's not just spoken out by our lips. It's something of heart. Trusting the Lord is something of heart, of a relationship with the living God. A, go a good deal has to do with that. And Isaiah 26 says, you will keep in what sort of peace? Perfect peace, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord how long? Forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. What is your weather like today, right now? If you think of tomorrow or this afternoon, take a moment to check your heart's barometer. Check it out. Maybe even write down afterwards or this afternoon or sometimes your own weather report. You may not be able to change the weather, but you can change your frame of mind. No matter how turbulent it is outside, no matter how your circumstances swirl and crash around, you can kindle a warm fire of inner peace. The key to unlock this is trusting the Lord. Can you trust the Lord? Can you trust the Lord? Before we attempt to answer, we need to understand what it really means. Can you trust, the God, uh, trust God? Can you trust God? Is he dependable? Is your God? The God you believe in, is he dependable in difficult times? What sort of God are you trusting in? You know, we need to ask that difficult question. What is the, your God all about? Is God trustworthy? Is your God trustworthy? Can I, and equally important, will I trust him? Well, if you examine that question, um, we need to remind ourselves again and again to the word of God. The word of God is giving us assurance of who he is. Well, um, Philip has uh, written down several of these verses, 
and you can read them in Psalm 33, 4. You can read them somewhere from 91, 1 and 2. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of Almighty. What sort of words? You know, the words of love and care of the good shepherd that is with you. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This is the God we trust in. From scripture we know that God is loving and faithful. It is impossible for him to betray us. Yet what we feel about God may be quite different. You know, we oftentimes, we go according our feelings. We may feel that he's abandoned us or forgotten us. And those feelings determine, of course, the answer of the question, can you trust God? Because oftentimes our feelings go upsy-turvy, you know, they just knock us around like a boxer in the ring. And we think, you know, God, where are you? Are you still there? Are you still in control? Don't you sleep in the back of this little tossed boat around that is tossed around? Can you trust God? Have there been some experiences in your past that have caused you to doubt God's trustworthiness? If so, what happened you know it's good to reflect on this because uh, the circumstances will arise you know uh, in a moment of time you you're not ready for it but it's the decision of now how wonderful it could be if god would give each of us a vision of himself then trusting him would be easy in heaven we will see him face to face but until then we will wrestle with our doubts and our feelings. This is why the word of God comes again. It's the word of God that we can trust in. It's the promises of God that we can trust in. Psalm 56, it's record my misery. List my tears on your scroll, are they not your record. Psalm 47.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. 1 Peter 5.7, I want to remind you again and again these precious um, Bible verses, cast, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Indeed, you and I can learn to trust God. Will you? Are you ready? It's not a, you know, from one day to another. But in our lives, we can learn it. Step by step, trusting Him. In spite of peace, in, in spite of disturbances, in spite of panic, Trusting him like Paul did. This is why we can learn that great lesson from Paul 
in the situation he found himself in. He trusted in the Lord, and the Lord intervened. Let's do the same. Let's learn that lesson. Lord Jesus, we bow again before you. Yes, we acknowledge that we wrestle with trusting in you. But we thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus that you give us time to learn that lesson. And even in this time of panic, of insecurity, the pictures of wars around the globe, we trust in you. Because you've had the first word and you're going to have the last one as well. So we entrust our lives not only today in your good hand, in the hands of the Good Shepherd, we entrust our lives knowing that you are in control. We thank you for this morning, for this testing grounds that are in front of us. Teach us that lesson in your grace. Thank you for your presence, for your guidance, for your help, for your sustenance, for everything you do and your promise in the Bible. The word of God that gives us security. You, it is your word, the word of God everlasting. We praise you and we worship you for your goodness and kindness that is over us, our lives. Our life, our family's life, our friend's life, over our church in this world, wherever we are, you are with us. Thank you for this great promise. We worship you for who you are and give you all the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.